The scripture reading for today comes from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise to the Lord. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Hi, good morning. I want to thank you on behalf of my family for making us feel so welcomed in your uh, lovely family here. And so it is a, a privilege and an honor uh, to come and spend time with you guys and also um, to be teaching God's word. And so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Um, just curious, how was your sleep last night? Pretty good? Pretty decent? That's great to hear. It's been quite a struggle for me just because I have two little ones that keep me up all night. They're so happy at the hotel and... It's like vacation time for them, but it's, it's uh, you know, like I, I'm on work mode. And that's the thing about sleep. It's always complicated, it seems like. In 2018, the CDC, they declared a public health crisis, that there was an epidemic of sorts. And what exactly was it? Insomnia. In 2018, that's the public health crisis. You fast forward to today into 2022, I don't think much has changed in that. It's hard to sleep for some reason. Why is that? Something that should become so natural for all of us to be able to just enjoy, just go to sleep. Why is this so complicated? You, you, you sleep too little and it's because of anxiety, but you sleep too much and they call that depression. What is it about it? Why is it in this world it's hard to just be at rest? And I find this correlation of not just, uh, not just talking about uh, how many hours that you're able to clock in at night, but also for our spiritual lives. What does it mean to rest? Because you can have all the REM sleep you want, but if you can't have rest for your soul, it leaves you weary. And I believe that in Psalm 146, what the psalmist gives to us is why it is, as the people of God, we're able to rest. That our rest is solely dependent upon who we actually trust in. And that's the only way you can get a good rest, a deep resting of your soul. And there's three things that I want to highlight for, here, for us today is, uh, first, there's a sense of what do we look, how do we view our time? Secondly, how do we view our plans? And last of all, who carries us in all of this? So these three things, time, our plans, and who carries us through all this. 
Let's look at the first point here, our time. If there's one thing that we could all cut out of our lives, yet still operate optimally and functionally, I'm convinced, I'm absolutely convinced that most of us would cut out sleep. That then there's more time in the day to do what you want, to accomplish what you need to. After all, who else is going to be on top of your lives than you? Sleep makes us aware that we're finite. And to be finite is to realize you only have so much time. Here's what verse, one, verse 3 says. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom uh, there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. There's this wordplay here. Son of man, wherein the Hebrew word for man reads Adam. And when it says he returns to the earth, there's another Hebrew expression of Adama. Back to the dust. Where according to Genesis, we're all created from just that. The dust. The psalmist is blunt here. Does it matter if you're a prince? Does it matter if you are a CEO? It does not matter how many times you exercise, you do yoga, you eat healthy. doesn't matter. To the dust, we shall all go. To the dust, we shall all go. Why does the psalmist make us think of such a, something so grim, so dark? That's not exactly bedtime stories material, right? Like, to the dust, you shall go, kids. Go to sleep. It's not how it works. This is where I find the theology of Calvin and Hobbes to be incredibly helpful, where Hobbes asked the mischievous Calvin, if good things lasted forever, would we really appreciate how precious they really are? So profound, this little tiger, that in this limited time, it helps us to put into perspective, what are we going to do with it? And as the Psalm uh, chapter 90, verse 12 puts it, it tells us, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. CNBC, they found out this statistic that, um, that the average driver in California, they spend 17 hours to find parking. I hope that's none of you. <laughs> You know what we can do with 17 hours? We can watch the entire Lord of the Rings series. We can knit sweaters. There's so much more than looking for parking. Yet teach us to number our days, O Lord. How does the psalmist spend his time? Verse 2. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. This is more than just about singing. Praising the Lord as long as I live literally reads, while I am. Meaning and implicating for all of us that praising God is a matter of living for him. That every human being is created for this, to praise the Lord with their lives. This doesn't mean that you all need to go to church 24-7, sleeping, praying, praising, doing churchy things, or maybe one long epic church camping thing that I'm aware that you guys have all been to. It's not that. We're, all called, we're not called to be monks, and this is not a monastery. Praise is, something, praise is not something to be contained, but something we proclaim to others by loving our neighbors around us in the love of Christ. That is our heart's purpose, 
That is God's intention for our lives. You can either spend the time for what you were created for, or time will begin to spend on you. And it's amazing how fast the time goes. Every year that I, as I get older, I find new aches in my bodies, in my bones, and I find myself to become a little more irrelevant to this world. I see all these kids learning how to code, and like this TikTok generation that I don't really understand. I'm becoming irrelevant. And that's when I start to realize or think more seriously about retirement. I mean, I'm, I'm still young now, okay? Like, I, I'm, I'm just saying here. Retirement seems to become more relevant. And it makes me ponder and ask the question, what does it really mean to retire well? Most people think it's about living the last stretches, a stretch of years in your life comfortably as possible. But in places like Okinawa, they don't really have a word for retirement. Yet for some reason, they all live longer than the average American who actually retires. As a matter of fact, the closest word they have for something like retirement is a word called ikigai. It's a very untranslatable word. But the rough translation is simply this. A reason for being or an all-encompassing joy. Which to me, as I hear it, sounds a lot like, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. A good retirement seems to be less about how, what can I get out of this life, but more about what will I leave behind? What will I leave behind? To the dust we shall all go. Carrie Egan, she's this hospice chaplain, and she was asked this question, what do people talk about when they're dying? That's the question she was presented with. And this is her response. Mostly, they talk about their family. They talk about how the love they, that they, the love they felt and the love that they gave. Often, they talk about the love they did not receive or the love they did not know how to offer, the love they withheld or maybe never felt for the, for the ones they should have loved unconditionally, end quote. You get the theme here? What can be more valuable than to give people the love of Christ and how we love our families and how we love our neighbors and our friends? Because I'll tell you what, I've yet, to, I've yet to attend a funeral where the eulogy uh, is said and the main emphasis is about how comfortably their lives were or how many accomplishments that they had or achieved or how many stuff they accumulated in their lives. But what people always seem to remember is how well they cared for others. This is what praising the Lord is supposed to look like. Loving the people in front of you like Jesus would. Yet the way that we spend our time is directly influenced by the plans that we have, which brings us to the second point. Look at what the psalmist observes here. Put not your trust, trust in princes, because when his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day, his plans perish. I'm sure that princes became princes because they were absolutely good planners, able to strategically move men in battle, what kind of artillery to actually use, 
At least that's what people would have thought. Plans of great success. Yet the psalmist says on that very day, his plans. Very day. Why this emphasis? Why emphasis very day? I'm thinking that the plans have this way of making us feel eternal, incredibly sure of ourselves, a guarantee without ever having to depend on anyone else. But very day makes clear for us that only God can be so definite with our lives. There's this old Yiddish proverb that says, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans. Okay, Lord, I I, want to get a stable job. I want to get married somewhere in my 20s or early 30s, travel for a little bit, have 2.5 kids, and just settle down. Uh, My kids will be just angels. They'll eat everything I give them. They'll listen to everything I say. We'll have a nice home, and then we'll age really well. Then I'll just retire at 50 and just do what I want. Only to hear a hearty laughter. That's a good one, Amos. You should be a comedian. And yeah, I'm willing to bet all of us have some variation of this. Yet the Bible says in Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Nothing is wrong with making plans, but a plan without God is like making a map but having no sense of direction of where to go. That's the problem with plans. They make it feel like we did this. I planned my way into school. I planned to woo my spouse. I planned this career path. I planned, therefore, I have. When in reality, it's because God gave that it was just as much of an act of grace to you. Plans are nice, but purpose is what remains, God's purpose. There's a side of us where we don't want to believe this. We want to live a life according to our plans. And God sort of becomes a consultant who just gives us good life advice, but we're able to ignore it from time to time. All you have to do is just be on top of everything. But here's what the psalmist says. Verse 5. Blessed is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. Out of everyone, Jacob learned this the hard way. He was the archetypal schemer. He was a hustler, making sure that life went according to his plans He tricks his own brother Esau to give him his birthright for just a pot of stew. That's like giving up all your social security and birth certificate just for chicken noodle soup. And he swindles him. And he doesn't stop there. Jacob continues to hustle. He tricks his own father Isaac in stealing the rightful blessing of the firstborn son. His father is weak. He's, He's fragile. He's vulnerable. He's legally blind doesn't matter. Jacob still plans. He still schemes. Takes the birthright. Or takes the blessing. It's like, how low do you have to be to to fool a helpless old man? But life had to go according to his plan. 
Time and time again, Jacob schemed his way as his plans worked until one day it didn't. He hears that his older brother Esau is coming. And all his plan that he worked so hard for, it's about to be ruined. Everything that he worked hard for. And Jacob is freaking out. And in that moment of where he's just, he's just worried, God wrestles with Jacob. Why would God wrestle with Jacob? Just to, just to put a beat down on Jacob's life just because he's so fed up with all the lying and scheming and all the hustling? No. God wrestles with Jacob to get through to him. Getting through to Jacob. Lay down your plans. Put your hope in me. Lay them all down. I bet, I think, it's at this precise moment Jacob realized God had saved him. And he didn't plan this. Absolutely none of us plan to be saved by God. None of us ever make a plan to be saved by God. And yet, for some reason, God makes a plan of salvation to save you. Because that's the purpose of his heart. That's just how good he is. How good he is to his people. Verse 6, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. That this is a God who faithfully sustains and cares for his creation. And he has never complained once. He has never complained that he has to bring up the sun again. Why do I have to bring up the sun again? Can't they just live in darkness? He never does that. He faithfully sustains all of us. And no one can take care of his creation as well as God, the God who keeps faith forever. And if God is so adamant to care for the tiniest of his creatures and creation, will he not also care for you, whom he has planned to save? Plans, they come and go, they succeed or fail, but our hope is in God. But sometimes we have to wrestle with God before we believe him. Because the plans that matter most to us, we can do our own scheming. I know I can. It's hard to trust him. It's hard to trust God with my family's well-being sometimes or what the future will look like or how my kids will turn out. And in these moments, I'm quick to jump to my own conclusions. We're on this family outing one time, and it's a, it's a time where everyone's supposed to have fun and relax. And I always thought I had this good game face. But Miles, my son, he turns to me and he asks his mom, Amma, why does Appa worry so much? It was a good question. I don't know, kid. Just finish your popcorn. Why do I worry so much? I guess I worry because it makes me feel like I'm doing something about it. Because who else is going to care for my problems better than me? And I have to carry the burden, figure all of this out in life. But I fail to realize that even in my sleeping, God is the one still keeping faith. He's the one still keeping my faith together. That if even in my most useless state asleep, he continues to carry the burdens of the world, 
then should not the burdens of my life, should the burdens of my own life be any different? Last point. Carry. Look at what he says in verse 7. He executes, God executes justice for the oppressed. That in all the small injustices that can possibly happen in your life, where no one else seems to care nor notice, it's God himself who says, I see you, I know what it's like. The Lord sets his prisoners free. As, uh, as the German writer would put it, the best way to keep a prisoner from escaping is to make sure he never knows he is imprisoned. And there's so much that we are shackled to in this world that we don't even notice. The prisons of our self-image, the prisons of our wealth, the prisons of our plans, yet God is the one who frees us from the bondage of sin. He sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, that he is, this is more than just God about being the best ophthalmologist, but that he is willing to give you eyes of faith to see it from his perspective. He lifts up those who are bowed down, that when we are so exhausted from our lives or incredibly discouraged, and all we can do is hunch over in a discouraged position, here's the Lord saying, lifting up our heads, because there's always hope. He watches over the sojourners. You will have a place with God because this is a God that says, you belong to me. He upholds the widows and the fatherless. That in our most vulnerable state, God promises, I will be your shield. And I will be your place of refuge. Let me ask you something. Out of all of this, what have you done to make any of this happen? Zero. None. So unproductive, so vulnerable, so helpless, and yet God is still oh so good to you. He will reign forever, as the psalmist says, which means he will care, care for you forever. Now, I always used to think that if you get, you know, in your adult life, your parents kind of sort of let you be. At least that's what I thought. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when I was younger and I'd go on to trips or wherever outings with my parents, they'd always stay out for a long time, so I'd always end up falling asleep. And my dad would always have to pick me up and carry me to my room and to my bed. And sometimes I wouldn't even be sleeping. I'd just pretend to sleep because I didn't want to walk. And so he'd carry me to my bed. He'd do this on a consistent basis. And one time I distinctly remember breaking my arm. And he'd take me to the doctor's office. And I, you know, and I, was, I was scared. I was worried. And the doctor looked at my arm, checked it all out. And, he, he, and I, all I remember is just falling asleep. I don't even remember what happened after that. But the next morning, I woke up in my bed with a cast on my arm. And it wasn't a question about, I, I didn't have to wonder who it was that placed me there. Now, my, every now and then, my dad, he asked me these random questions of, do you eat hamburgers? Do you know that they give you lots of cholesterol? <laughs> you shouldn't eat too much of it. And sometimes these kind of comments, they, I, I, I take it as nagging. But he also asked me other things, updates on my life. How are your kids doing? How is church going? 
how I'm doing. You know, and all the things that I may get annoyed by, all his comments made me realize he's never stopped caring about me. He's never stopped carrying me. Is this not a parent's heart towards their children? And yet Psalm 146 is a reminder that God has this fatherly heart for all of us. He will be good to you. He will carry you all the way because Jesus came to carry a cross, a burden that we are incapable for of ourselves, to not only die for our sins, but to be also to live a perfect sinless life on our behalf, that Jesus also promises to carry us to himself in the safety and confines of a heavenly kingdom. Where in Revelation 7:12, he, he, the, uh, the, God says, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So that everyone who hopes and places their faith in his saving work, God promises to keep faith with them forever. He can't be anything less than good to you, friends. That is what the psalmist uh, promises. And this is the reason why you're able to rest if you know you have a God like this to rest in. You can rest knowing he will always carry you no matter what's going on in your lives. Can I pray for us? Father God, we thank you for your gracious reminder. You're a God who keeps faith with your people, even when we're barely keeping it together ourselves. That in all the ways we plan, we scheme, you graciously provide this plan of salvation to save us at the cross. God, may we lay all our scheming and plans down at your feet and learn over and over again what it means to trust in a God who is incredibly good towards all of us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.